You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Mark Feinsand, executive reporter for MLB.com, and welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. Thanks for coming aboard and joining me for our debut episode, which features Marlins CEO Derek Jeter. Jeter, of course, played 20 years with the Yankees, compiling a resume which will surely land him in the Baseball Hall of Fame on his first ballot. Jeter amassed 3,465 hits, 1,923 runs scored, hit 310 for his career, and most importantly, certainly in his eyes, earned five World Series rings in New York. He also spent the final 12 years of his career as the Yankees' captain, becoming perhaps the most well-respected player of his generation. Last fall, Jeter joined Bruce Sherman as an investor and became a part owner of the Marlins, the team he now runs as its chief executive officer. During his first four months in the position, he started a rebuilding process that saw Miami trade four of its best players, D. Gordon, Christian Yelich, Marcelo Zuna, and of course, reigning National League MVP Giancarlo Stanton. But while some have criticized Jeter and the Marlins for the moves, the 43-year-old seems certain that the long-term plan will help build a sustainable franchise capable of contending on an annual basis. So what made one of the world's most famous athletes take on this monumental challenge? I sat down with him at Roger Dean Stadium in West Palm Beach to ask him just that and much, much more. Enjoy this conversation with the one and only Derek Jeter. I will warn you that we had some audio issues on this maiden voyage, so please bear with it, and I promise we'll iron out the details before our next episode. Enjoy. Derek, thanks for taking the time to join us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, we all know what you accomplished on a baseball field. When did you first decide that owning a team was something that interested you? Yeah, Mark, you might know as good as me. Uh, I know more than me, actually. I think it maybe 10 years before I retired, maybe when I first started, I think people were asking me about it. I think when that's when I first started, first started floating that out. Um, so I don't know if I can put a time frame on it, but it was I started learning as much as I possibly could about an organization, how an organization works, maybe the last 10 years of my career. How'd you start learning about it? What, what active steps did you take to start figuring out what you wanted to do? Well, I lived in Tampa, um, so I worked out at the minor league complex every offseason my entire career, so I learned as much as I could about player development, scouting, uh, you know, and I think being at the major league level, making all decisions when it came to marketing, PR, contract negotiations, started my own foundation. These are all um, parts of an organization. So I think learning as much as you possibly can about those things, uh, I think has helped me so far, but there's still a lot to learn. As a player, were there any owners in the league or any league with a last name that wasn't Steinbrenner that you admired from afar? And what, what stood out to you about any of those people? I mean, obviously you were around George and Hal more than anybody else. Yeah, I'm around those guys. I mean, I was around those guys, obviously, more than anyone else. And, you know, I'm a little biased, but I you know, I think Mr. Steinbrenner was arguably one of the greatest owners in all of sports. So I had a pretty close relationship with him before he passed away. And... Um, I think in, we have some similarities. I'll just say some similarities when it comes to uh, accountability and responsibility and playing every game to win and the ultimate goals to win a championship. Uh, so I don't know. We'd have to come back to that question. I, I think I, I more so just because you know living down in 
Florida, I, I probably learned the most from watching, you know, Mr. Steinbrenner and the Steinbrenner family. How would you, when you think about yourself in this role, how would you most like to be like <clears throat> the boss and maybe not like the boss? I'd like to have as much success as the boss. <laughs> I mean, I think start with that. Um, Unlike the boss, I don't know if I would say unlike the boss. I just think that being a player, I understand um, you know the ups and downs of the season. I think uh, you know one thing that you know the boss had the old football mentality where every single game you should you should win, and I, I agree with that as well. But I think also having uh, an understanding of, of not saying that he didn't have it, but having an understanding of how long a season is, and there's ups and downs, and sometimes you may not be as good as you look and other times you may not be as bad as you look. So I think just having an understanding of what goes on inside the clubhouse, I think it's probably where we would be somewhat different. Unlike the boss, you were a player. So you can maybe relate to what players go through a little more. Do you think that will benefit you in having a different view as an owner, having been on that side of things in terms of either dealing with players on a day-to-day -day basis or, or recruiting players to come here, whatever it may be, being, I mean, not very many owners in this league played in this league, let alone had the success that you had. I hope so, right? I hope so. But, I mean, you know, it, it's funny to say it, but, I mean, a lot of these questions I can't even answer because we haven't gotten there yet. Um, but I'd like to think so. Uh, once again, only time will tell. Did you ever express to him your interest in doing this down the road? <clears throat> I did. I'm sure he's heard me talk about it. I mean, we never got into specifics because, you know, First thing he would have told me is focus on being a player. So <laughs> focused on being a player first and foremost, but I also did try to learn. George had relationships with a lot of players. He would come to the clubhouse from time to time. Some owners stay far away. Do you intend to, to have relationships with your players and be sort of a, an active participant, not necessarily in the clubhouse all the time, but be an active participant with your players? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't even know if I can answer that because I think, you know, it, it in this day and age where there's so much player movement, um, you know, I think there has to be some sort of a separation between the two. Um, not saying that I would avoid it. I mean, if I felt it necessary to go in the clubhouse, I would go in the clubhouse, but I don't think that'll be common practice. But I don't know. We'll see, I could tell you something different six months from now. You spent 20 years of your life in a clubhouse. Is it weird being around a spring training facility and having that not be part of your you know, one of the areas you spend a lot of time in? Maybe not so much right now because this place is somewhat foreign to me because I didn't spend a lot of time here in Jupiter when I was through my playing career. Uh, but it was, you know, being in, I was the first, today was the first day I was in the clubhouse with a full group when I wasn't a player. So it brings back a lot of memories. What was that like for you? It was fun. I think it's there's a level of excitement. I think even when you're you're a player, there's a there's a feeling of optimism. There's there's teams all around baseball that have a lot of optimism and they're looking forward to the start of the season. I think it's no different um, from an ownership standpoint, um, where everyone's looking forward to the season. It's been seems like we've we've been here for about ten years and haven't played a game yet. It's only been four short months. Your friend Michael Jordan's. Got some ownership experience in the NBA. Uh, did you have any get any advice from him about his experience that as you embarked on this uh, phase of your career? Yeah, we've talked quite a bit. You know, I think uh, you know I, I try to be 
myself, I, you know, I think you can learn from others' experience, good or bad. Um, you know, I've always tried to learn as much as I can. I think, you know, the number one lesson you get is, you know, you have a plan, you stick to the plan. You know, you may take some criticism along the way, but uh, ultimately you have to stick to the script, and, and that's what we're going to do here. At the owners' meetings, you joked <coughs> you feel like a kid again in your in a group of owners. You feel like a rookie again. Was that was that a bizarre uh, sort of feeling for you again after, you know, playing as long as you did and being a veteran and hearing how old you were as a player to be the youngest guy in the room? I'm young, man. I'm the youngest <laughs> in the room by far. Hey, you're six months older than me, so I agree with you. We're young. Yeah, we are young. You go from being a player when you turn 30, everyone tells you how old you are. And then you retire and all of a sudden you're young. So I'm, I'm enjoying being the young one again. How has the first six months of fatherhood changed your perspective on life and baseball and everything else? It changes everything because, you know, regardless of what happens throughout the course of the day when you get home and you get a chance to see, you know, my daughter in this case, but you get a chance to see her and she could care less of what happened. You know, you just get a smile on your face. So um, it puts everything in perspective. Between your retirement and the time you took over the Marlins, you launched a couple of other businesses, Jeter Publishing, the Players' Tribune. What drew you to those business opportunities as sort of the, the, the first post-playing phase of your career? Yeah, you know, publishing, I've always been interested in, in content, and I've always been interested in other people's stories. I think a lot of times when, when you see someone that has had success, you just automatically assume, I think a lot of people automatically assume they just wake up and they're successful. But I've always liked to hear the stories of the failures, the bumps in the road along the way, because I think everyone has those bumps in the road but it's just, uh, how can you learn from them? So I've always enjoyed meeting people and, and hearing about some adversity that they went through. And um, you know, it's, that's why I was interested in publishing and also in the kids' side of things. We try to share some of the lessons that I've learned from my parents over the years and, and share that through children's books. And you know, the Tribune is something that uh, you know, I'm extremely proud of because I, I think that you know, athletes are more than just one-dimensional. I mean, they have other interests, and a lot of times you want to share those interests. And, and you know, when we started it, started it, people thought we were trying to eliminate mainstream media, but which is not the case at all. We try to be a complement to the media and giving them an opportunity to um, learn a little bit about players outside of just on the field or on the court. Um, give them an opportunity to follow up and ask questions on things that are interesting to the players. So. I am uh, very happy with those two businesses that started since retirement. And uh, you've always told me not to believe everything I read, but I read that you were at one point in 2014 interested in being part of an ownership group for the Buffalo Bills. That is false. Okay. 100% <laughs> See, false. this is why I ask you questions, I heard right? That too. Yeah, I, I woke up one day and heard that. <laughs> Has owning a team outside of baseball ever been of interest to you? Or no. did you know it was always very baseball? good at knowing what I don't know? And, and another sport would be one of them. As a player, you always adopted the boss's doctrine of any season where you don't win a World Series is a failure. Is that still the philosophy you hold as you take over a new club? No question, because ultimately that's what you play for. You play to win. And um, you know everyone should have that mindset, because when you take the field and you compete each and every day, you have an opportunity to win that game. And um, you know we're all professionals. And if you're a professional, you handle yourself in that manner. But most importantly, you want to compete. And uh, yes, so I 100%. You can make progress along the way, but ultimately, you either win or you lose. 
you developed a pretty thick skin over two decades playing in New York. I think anybody who spends 20 years there kind of has to. Has that helped you throughout <clears throat> the early months of, of your ownership? Uh, yeah, I mean, criticism is a part of it. You know, I, I think everyone, when you're a player, you criticize to a certain extent. But, um, yeah, it probably helped. But I try not to pay much attention to it. I mean, you know me for a long time. I'm overly optimistic, and I'll never apologize for that. Is that uh, harder to be overly optimistic? I mean, when you were a player, you go to the plate, you have some control over what happens there. This, you don't necessarily have that control over what happens on the field. Is that tougher for you? Is that going to take a little getting used to for you, do you think? Probably, right? I mean, we still haven't played a game. We haven't played a spring training game yet, so probably. And like you said, if you have critics when you're playing, at least your performance can silence those critics. So I think in a certain sense, you're going to have to have more patience in this position. But I don't know. I guess we'll we'll talk about it in time. You've heard from a lot of those critics this winter with all the trades. You knew you came in to this whole situation with a plan. You, you guys are executing your plan. Has it been difficult to go through this process and trade away players and knowing that you're looking long-term, but fans and, and other people are looking short-term at these kinds of things? Uh, well, I mean, if you, if you look short-term, the team wasn't winning. Bottom line, I mean, I, I don't care what anyone's opinion is. It's factual. The team was not winning. So if the team's not winning and you want an opportunity to have a sustainable franchise, you have to make changes. That's the way I looked at it coming in. And from our opening press conference, I said there may be some unpopular decisions that are made, but it's for the betterment of this organization. And, and it, it's pretty simple. The team wasn't winning and the people weren't coming to see that team. So we have to make some changes. I mean... Except for like Fenway Park or Camden Yards, Derek Jeter and unpopular have not been words that have gone together very often. I mean, it's not it's not often that your home team, your home team fans, would be upset with you. Unpopular decisions. <laughs> it's a completely different thing. But you'd expect that. I mean, it's a fan base. I played a career, a twenty-year career, where we've had a lot of success, and our fan base were upset at some of the decisions that were made along the way. That's just fans and. And to be quite honest with you, I'd, I'd rather them be passionate about an organization as opposed to just not caring. So much has been made about all the players who are no longer <coughs> Marlins. Which Marlins players who are here are you most excited to see this spring? There's a lot. I mean, we've, we've, we've made some moves and we've added some prospects to our organization. And, and the thing that I'm excited about is we have players that are eager to get started and they're getting an opportunity. Like I say, competition, in my mind, brings out the best in people. Um, and we're going to have a competitive spring training here. And uh, you know, the, just seeing the excitement with the younger players is something that I can relate to because you know, I was a young player at some point, too, a long time ago. And you know, I was going into spring training with an opportunity to win a job. And there's going to be a lot of opportunity here. It's been four months since you started here. What's been the most enjoyable part for you? Four months, the most enjoyable part of the four months that I've been here. You know, contrary to popular belief, we've gotten a lot of support from the community. And I know there's been a lot of noise that's been out, uh, but the warm welcome that we've gotten from the community is, is, has been something that we have appreciated. You know, and that's people, it's individuals, it's corporations reaching out saying that they want to be a part of this journey. So, um, that's the one thing that I think our, our ownership group is excited about. Speaking of that community, 
Miami's a great city, a lot of great <clears throat> passionate baseball fans, yet they haven't come to the ballpark as much as people thought they would. Why do you think Miami is has the potential to be a big-time major league market? Well, there's a complicated history there, right? I'm, sure. I'm learning more and more about that complicated history since I've been here. Uh, you know, when they won years ago, the fans came out, and then they've just, uh, you know, had that complicated history. But, you know, I know when we were trying to acquire this team, a lot of people said that they didn't believe that Major League Baseball would survive in Miami, and we bet against it. Like I said, Carlos, call me overly optimistic, but I feel as though the fan base is there. You look at the WBC, I mean, there's those games um, in Marlins Park during the WBC were sold out, and most of those fans are from Miami, so they're there. We just got to get them back out. What's the biggest challenge in a city with the great beaches and great nightlife and everything Miami has to offer, what's the biggest challenge in getting people to the ballpark? Is it as simple as win and they'll show up? That's part of it. I think you can say that in most places, right? I mean, you know, you have to have a competitive team on the field, and, and that's our job is to make this team competitive. But then also, I think you have to embrace the culture and you have to make it a fun atmosphere. And another thing that we focused on is it's not just the baseball stadium. I mean, this is an entertainment venue. So we're focusing quite a bit on making sure that our fan base enjoys their experience when they get to the stadium. I, mean, I know you well enough to know that you've thought about some of this stuff. You have a vision for the way this stuff happens. You know, hope you hope it will happen. So I'm sure that even though it hasn't happened yet, I assume that you've thought about the way things are, if in a perfect world for you, are going to develop. Yep, yep. And and like you said, I, I I'd like to think that I have some experience being in a clubhouse. So I understand it's a long season. There's ups and downs. So, you know, the patience part of it, um, you know, I haven't had much patience in my career. Um, but yet again, it's in a game of failure, you have to have patience. So I think just having that understanding and, you know, we have a blueprint, uh, whether it's on the business side or on the baseball side, and we're going to stick to that script. That's the bottom line. And we're going to be focused and strategic. And, you know, no matter what happens, we're going to stick to it. It's been reported that you've banned the word rebuild from being used around here, preferring to use the word build instead. I wouldn't say I've banned the word rebuild. I just purposely have not used it. And I've said, you know, there's negative connotation to the word rebuild. So I say we're building something here. We're building something sustainable. So every time I'm asked about that word, I just correct whoever's asking me. Do you have i I'm sure you wouldn't answer this, but do you have a <clears throat> time in your time frame in your head of when when you think this team is going to be competitive to we'll the We'll be competitive this year. Every single time you take the field, you should be able to compete. Look, whoever's on our team, they're wearing a major league uniform, and um, you expect them to compete. You never put in the minds of your team or teammates that you are expected to lose. And that's just the wrong mindset. We want everyone, every single day, you can get better, and you can help your team win a game. And you take it day by day. As a player, you were never one to rely very heavily on analytics. I don't think you even liked watching video. Uh, in your eyes, how has analytics changed the game over recent years? It's changed it, and I'm learning about it, right? And, and us as an ownership group, we're investing a lot of money into the analytics department because one thing you like to do is have as much information possible when you're making a decision. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, analytics came on towards the end of my career. And, uh, you know, I always looked at it as 
paralysis by analysis, and I, I didn't want to have all that information in my head, but you know, people are built a little bit differently now. So yeah, we are investing in the analytics department. When you first got up to the big leagues, Don Madley was the captain of the Yankees. Now he works for you. Is that a strange situation at all? We work together. That's the way I like to look at it. You know, we need to have um, a lot of quality people working in this organization. If you're going to build a first-class organization, you need first-class individuals. And Donnie, from when I played with him for a few weeks and when he was a hitting coach, bench coach, uh, gotten to know him throughout the years, and, and he's as good as they come. You've brought over a few people from the Yankees, Gary Denbo obviously being one of the bigger ones. How important was it for you to bring some people over who have been part of that organization and had that kind of tradition and, and winning, and not to mention people you know to help you get things well, going? Not necessarily. I, I wouldn't say I necessarily wanted to bring people from that organization. I want to bring quality people who are very good at what they do. You know, I just so happen to have known Gary my entire professional life, and in my mind, he's the best in the business. So regardless of what organization he was coming from, I would want him to be a part of this. So, um, you know, we're trying to add quality employees, um, you know, both not only just on the baseball side, but on the business side as well. And um, it just so happens that, you know, I've known Gary from that organization, and, and he's had a lot of success there. and. You know, he handles himself and he teaches people as well as anyone that I've been around. Going back to Donnie, what do you think the, his greatest strengths are as a manager? He relates to the players. I think it's sort of similar to what we're talking about. You know, Donnie was a player, right? He was very, very successful. And, um, you know, playing in New York, it's not the easiest place to play in the world. So I, I think he understands uh, that it's a, it's a long, long journey and it's a long season. So I think just, you know, Donnie being a player has, has helped him. I remember in your last year, people asked you probably a thousand or two times about your career, looking back on accomplishments, and you always said you wouldn't look back on those till after you retired. You've been retired for a few years now. Have you taken time to look back and think about what you accomplished and everything you, you achieved? I think more so maybe when they retired my number. You know, you get an opportunity to sit back and reflect because that's what people are talking about, and you don't have to get ready to play a game. Uh, so yeah, I've had a chance to reflect. I mean, it's not like I sit at home and watch highlights all the time, <laughs> but uh, you get a chance to reflect. Uh, last one, you'll be eligible for the Hall of Fame in the winter of 2019. As you start to see some of your peers, guys you played with and against, inducted, does it become more of a reality for you? You notice I've been busy here, man, so <laughs> I, I really haven't given it much thought. It's, uh, you know, from from a player's standpoint, my career is over and done with. There's nothing else I can do. So, um, yeah, maybe start thinking about it in time. Derek, thanks for your time. Appreciate no it. Thank you. Many thanks to Derek Jeter for taking the time to join me on the debut episode of Executive Access. It remains to be seen whether or not Jeter's long-term plan will succeed, though it typically hasn't been a wise move to bet against him during the past two-plus decades. Our next episode will feature a lengthy conversation with Braves Executive Vice President and General Manager Alex Anthopoulos. Alex had a lengthy stint with the Blue Jays from 2003 to 2015, the last six as the team's General Manager. After a two-year stint with the Dodgers, he was hired by the Braves this past November, taking over one of the best crops of young talent in the majors. We'll certainly have plenty to talk about. Thanks to everybody for listening to the debut episode of Executive Access. We're very excited about this podcast, and we hope you are too. Until next time, I'm Mark Feinsand.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.